Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another podcast episode of Mysterious Headlines. We are covering the trial of Lori Vallodebo. Now, today, April 10th, was officially the first day where we had opening statements and two witnesses called to the stand. Now, again, this trial is not being live streamed. There are no cameras allowed in the courtroom. So we are getting information from reporters that are there in the courtroom. There is some audio that is being shared, but it seems to be much um, later after the fact. I'm going to try and incorporate some in this podcast, but it just, like I said, they're seeming to release it a little bit later. So in order to try and stay up to date with this trial and give you the most current information on that day's trial, um, I'm just going to be using whatever is available. So today, again, we had opening statements. So it started with the prosecutor opening statements. Lindsay Blake, she was the one that gave opening statements today. She said that the defendant, Lori Vallow-Daybell, used money, power, and sex to get what she wanted. Tylee had money. Lori wanted it. Tylee's gone. JJ took time, and he also lost his father. When he lost his father, he became much more difficult to care for. He was entitled to social security benefits. The defendant didn't want to have to take care of JJ anymore. He had money, JJ's gone. Tammy had a life insurance policy. Lori wanted Chad all to herself, Tammy's gone. They showed pictures of Tylee's remains, JJ's remains, and the autopsy photo of Tammy to the jury. She said the missing children, the sudden death of Tammy, the quick marriage of Chad and the defendant left so many questions for those still grieving the loss of Tammy and those still wondering 24-7 about the whereabouts of the children. She said you're going to hear a lot about Chad and Lori's religious beliefs and that they believe they were religious figures. She said when they both met, they were both married to others. She said, remember the defendant will remove any obstacle in her way to get what she wants. She wanted Chad. You will hear, she said, you will hear about rating systems, light and dark. The defendant told others that with the help of Chad, she could rate people as light and dark. It evolved further. She said the defendant used casting, which was a mix of prayer and energy work. Often this did not work and beliefs evolved to zombies. A common theme was that body had to be destroyed. She went on to say that the case really starts in October 2018 when Chad and Lori first met and the police didn't get involved until 2019. She said the defendant took no action when the kids went missing and Tammy died at the hands of another due to asphyxiation. She went on to talk a little bit about Alex Cox and how Alex Cox would do anything for his sister Lori, anything that she wanted and asked. So that was the prosecutor opening statements. Then the defense gave their opening statements. They talked about who Lori is, where she grew up, a little bit about her childhood, and the children she has. And this was all being done by Jim Archibald. He said that she's a responsible mother. She took interest in religion. He said that Lori was in her apartment when JJ died in Alex's apartment that she was in Hawaii when Tammy died. 
Jim said, we haven't been able to agree what happened to these children, how and when they died. And he said, that's where you come in. And he said, the prosecutors are going to try and convince you of when and how they died. But we still can't agree on what happened to these children. Then they went to call their first witness to the stand, who was Kay Woodcock, who I mentioned before, we knew she was gonna get called to the witness stand. She's the reason all of this got set into motion. So I'm not surprised that she was the prosecutor's first call to the witness stand. Rob Wood was the prosecutor attorney for this witness. She spoke about how her son and his girlfriend had issues that when JJ was born, he had drugs in his system. He was born 30 weeks and spent time in the NICU. She said the state immediately took custody of JJ because he had drugs in his system and that he went home with her and her husband, Larry. She said shortly after Lori had approached Kay about adopting JJ and they agreed that it would be a much better lifestyle, that Lori and Charles could raise JJ in a much better lifestyle. It was more fit. Kay and Larry live in Louisiana. Where they live, there wasn't a good school for JJ who had special needs, so they agreed upon it. Now, part of the condition was that Larry and Kay would stay in contact with JJ. So JJ moved to Arizona and lived with um, Charles and Lori. They officially adopted him and he lived with Lori and Charles and Tylee, his older sister. Kay says that her and Larry visited him about every three months from Louisiana. She said Lori was a good mom and that Charles was a really good dad. He was involved. He loved playing with um, JJ. She said despite the 17 year difference. So Charles was 17 years older than Lori, but she said despite that, they were both good parents. She said that in 2019, she stayed in Arizona for two weeks. She said that Charles had called her saying, Lori's gone. I don't know where she is. I need you to help me. So she, Kay flew out to Arizona and she stayed with Charles for two weeks and helped care for JJ. She said that was between February and March of 2019 and that it was a 58 day period that Lori was gone and she knows because Charles kept track and he told her. He kept telling her now it's 55 days, now it's 56 days that she has been gone. And she said during those 58 days, JJ spent part of his time in Arizona, part of his time in Louisiana with her, but that it was hard not knowing where Lori was and what was going on. Charles, during that period of time, decided to move to Houston. His work was operating primarily out of Houston and it was a better situation. He got JJ enrolled in a school in Houston and he said it was a better situation. Charles was a financial planner, that was his job. And Kay said that in February, 2019, Charles had approached her asking if he would help her with his business. And she agreed. She said that she would help him. She said Charles was very distraught over the separation and also busy with work. 
And so she agreed to help him. So she got access to his bank accounts and his emails during that time to assist him with his financial planning business. She said in April 2019, Lori then decided to move to Texas. She returned from her 58 days of being gone and decided um, to move to Texas. So Tylee, JJ, Charles, and Lori were now all in Texas. And she said it was also in February of 2019 that Charles called her and asked her if she would be her, his beneficiary and said, I really want you to be my beneficiary. I want to take Lori off of that. And so that's when that happened was February of 2019. She said May 17th of 2019 was the last time Kay saw JJ in person. She said they had a birthday party in Louisiana for him, celebrated his birthday together. She said then she had contact with him three additional times. She said all of those times over FaceTime were very different. She said usually they would chat for quite a while on FaceTime. He would be lively, happy, bubbly, want to chat with her. And she said the three remaining times were short calls. She saw mostly the ceiling the whole time. And it was as if someone else was holding the phone. And the calls were very different those remaining times that she spoke to him on FaceTime. She said um, after Charles died, she said JJ seemed like a way different person. He was the one FaceTime call. He was kind of having a bit of a meltdown, but she thought maybe because she had called towards the end of the day and he was tired and maybe that was why. She said August 10th of 2019 was the last call she had with JJ on FaceTime. It was about a minute long phone conversation and she said she barely spoke to him and she saw most of the ceiling and it looked as someone was holding the phone and then he clicked off. Kay said she made arrangements to fly to Arizona to, um, after Charles had died, she made arrangements to fly to Arizona to pick up JJ and fly him back to Louisiana for Charles's funeral. She said she repeatedly tried to contact Lori to make arrangements so that she could go pick up JJ, bring him back to Louisiana for the funeral. And she said Lori never answered her messages, her texts, her calls. She never responded to her. She said Lori did not go to that funeral and he was, um, she was not there. And she said, I just was never able to reach him. She said she was very concerned for JJ's well-being after Charles's death because JJ just seemed like a different person. She said it was in November of 2019 that she woke up that day, November 8th of 2019. She woke up that day and something told her to go to her computer. She had been wanting to hook up her new scanner to her computer and get it working. And something told her that day that she needed to go to her computer. And she went to her computer and Charles's Gmail account was on her computer. Because again, she got access to his financial accounts and Gmail when she started in February of that year assisting with his financial business. So she went on to his Gmail and she saw there were lots of emails in his Gmail. And she said there was Amazon emails regarding Amazon packages being delivered to Idaho. And she said that's when she contacted a private investigator. And she also contacted Brandon Boudreaux, who was married to Melanie Pulowski, who was Lori's niece. She said she checked the browsing history on Amazon and found that things like swimsuits, wedding dresses, and wedding rings had been researched on Amazon. 
She said then in January 2020 was when she first met with the Rexburg Police Department. And based on the FBI's guidance, they said you should issue a reward for the kids. And so that's when she issued a reward for the kids and asked for um, people to come forward with information regarding the kids. That was every essentially everything um, from Kay Woodcock, the first witness. So then they called the second witness to the stand, Brandon Boudreau, who again was married to Melanie Pulowski, and Melanie Pulowski was Lori's niece. So Brandon took the stand. He talked about how he was married to Melanie Pulowski, Lori's niece. They were married for 10 years, and they had four kids together. He said they lived with Lori for some time and that they became really close. Their kids became really close with Lori's kids. Um, he said he became really close with Ty Lee to the point where she asked him to baptize her um, at church. And so he baptized her. And he said Melanie really saw Lori as a mom figure. And he said they last all spent Christmas of 2018 together. He said when he first met Melanie and when they first got married, she was not very religious. She didn't go to church very much. She wasn't very religious. But he said over the 10 years of their marriage, she became very religious. And by 2018, she was hyper-religious. She would go to the temple every single day. She felt like she had to go to the temple every single day. He said in 2019 was when it really got bizarre. He said he got a call and text from Charles and Charles was telling him that Lori was accusing him of cheating. And he said, I don't understand this. And he said it went from zero to 100 really quick. He said Melanie told him not to take sides in the Lori Charles debacle because they were kind of in a separation period. That was the 58 days when Lori kind of vanished. And Melanie told Brandon, do not take sides. Then June of 2019, Brandon said his grandpa died and he was talking to Melanie and she said, I'm not going to go to the funeral. I don't even want to go anywhere near your family or the funeral. And it was very bizarre. Melanie said she had a revelation from God and that she no longer felt safe with Brandon. She accused him of being a homosexual. Brandon said he texted Charles and Lori. He said he never got a response from Lori. Um, regarding the stuff he was going through with Melanie. He said he spoke to both a bishop and a counselor. And he said they ultimately ended up getting divorced. Melanie said she was scared of Brandon. He said the custody agreement was really weird. He said he had a hard time seeing his kids. And Melanie was just making the whole thing complicated. He said October 2nd of 2019, someone shot at him at home. They were driving a green Jeep with a Texas license plate. He immediately met with the detective after that happened. And he remembered that Tylee had a green Jeep that Charles had purchased for her when they were living in Texas. And he, Charles had the VIN number because Brandon um, was getting insurance for all the cars. And Charles was kind of apparently the family man who would, um, because of his like skills and background, he would shop insurance plans for the whole family. So he um, had the VIN number information and Brandon said he was concerned about who did it and he checked his emails and he said 
you know, Melanie um, had been kind of getting really deep into religious stuff. And he said he kept seeing these emails from a guy named Chad Daybell. And he contacted Ali with this information. And then he started doing more digging and he found the obituary for Tammy Daybell. And after continuing conversations with the police, he realized that JJ and Tylee were missing. And he had obviously become really close to Tylee and JJ over the years. And he said it was the day before his wedding, his second wedding, when he got a call that the bodies were found in Chad Daybell's backyard. So the cross-examiner stood up to cross-examine Brandon, and they basically asked a couple things. They asked, why did Melanie accuse you of being a homosexual? Why did she think that? And he said, she told me God had told her that. And when he said, well, what proof do you have? She showed a video of him at a, like a bar dancing. And they also asked about the Jeep VIN number. And he again explained that Charles was kind of the family man that would help with um, shop insurance plans for everybody. So that is why Charles had the VIN number. Um, and that was pretty much the extent of the cross-examination. And that was the kind of wrap-up of official day one. So again, opening statements where the defense um, or the prosecutor basically said defendant used money, power, and sex to get what she wanted. And that was the message that they were really driving home in the opening statements. And then Kay Woodcock being the first, the first witness called to the stand and really speaking to, you know, how she knew JJ and Tylee and her brother Charles and spearheading this whole thing of calling the police and concerned about their whereabouts. And there was, there was some stuff I left out, um, but that was the gist of the opening statements and the witnesses, Kay Woodcock and Brandon Boudreau. So tomorrow will be another day of trial. We will see who gets called to the stand. I already kind of have a list of people that I suspect will be called to the witness stand coming up. Obviously, Larry Woodcock is going to be called to the witness stand. Um, he might be one of the next witnesses. Um, as well as we're probably going to hear from Lori's mom and Lori's sister and um, possibly from some of Chad's um, family as well because Tammy Daybell is also part of all this trial. And um, I'm assuming we will hear from um, Melanie Gibb, who is Lori's good friend. Um, she was in the, um, the pretrial, um, and we heard from her already a little bit, so we can kind of assume she's going to um, get called to the stand and have some similar things to say about all of this. Um, and so it'll be, it'll be interesting. Um, and also Colby Ryan, um, her oldest son, I'm sure will be called to the witness stand as well um, to speak about his relationship 
with his mom and how things changed with their relationship and with his siblings and when he had last had contact with them and such. So it'll be interesting to see as this progresses. Again, I'm going to try to stay up to date with this, giving you the most up to date podcasts each day with information. I'll add in some audio if I can. Um, but that was the summation of day one. Be sure to hit the subscribe button here wherever you're listening to this podcast so you can get notified when I put out the next podcast episode. But again, I'm going to try and do a podcast every day recapping that day at the trial so that you are up to date on all the latest in the Lori Vallow Dayball trial. This trial is expected to go about eight weeks. So there are a lot more witnesses to be called and a lot more information to come out. Um, I know we have quite a bit of information already in this case, but I think it's going to be interesting to hear even more information come out that we don't already know in this case. So again, hit the subscribe button, stay tuned to this case so you can hear um, all the latest in the Lori Vallow Daybell trial. Thank you all for listening. Talk again soon.